Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Market Insights podcast. Uh, my name is Charles Prideau, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Bob Jolly, um, who is Head of Global Macro Strategy within our Fixed Income Division. Bob, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. Just to set the context, clearly, here we are in November, middle thereof, and we've had a uh, phase of kind of risk on mindset in uh, asset markets now for a while, US earnings season uh, going uh, reasonably favorably. Uh, and of course, perhaps most crucially of all, the tenor of the rhetoric uh, between the US and China in terms of the trade tension uh, at play has been improving somewhat. Um, but I think, as we've said on these calls many times before, that will kind of ebb and flow. Um, meantime, specifically over the last week, uh, clearly, you know, we've blooming up for our snap election on December the 12th here in the UK, and the rhetoric around whose fiscal stimulus can outdo the others uh, has ratcheted up. We might come back to that with Bob. Uh, we've had a further rate cut from the Fed. Uh, we've had uh, reasonably benign US job gains. Uh, and all of that has helped fuel um, the US stock market, which uh, hit a record high uh, during the course of the last week. Um, meantime, uh, some of the underlying data in relation to the actual global economy continues to be uh, somewhat weak with just as a barometer, bellwether, Korea, uh, October exports, for example, measured at being down uh, just under 15% uh, year on year. So that sort of eeriness uh, around the robustness of the underlying uh, global economy uh, continues to uh, be at bay. Meantime, risk assets supported by the ongoing uh, benign global monetary conditions. So, um, Bob, with that um, as a sort of very brief intro, uh, thanks again for being here. What I thought we'd do maybe initially was talk a little bit about um, the sort of scenarios that you're having to na navigate at the moment. Because we're well into the year now, and we've clearly had... Um, uh, favorable returns across uh, asset classes on a year-to-date uh, basis. But it does beg the question of um, what happens uh, What happens next. And I know that in, the, in terms of your process, you are always kind of juxtaposing different scenarios. So maybe we could start with the US. I talked about um, Trump and, uh, and China. Uh, how do you see that right now? And crucially, how do you see that influencing the strategy that you are adopting? Okay. Um, I think certainly it appears that Trump is thinking quite seriously about uh, the, the election next year and has recognized that he needs to have some good news. So the potential for a trade deal seems to be rising. Uh, it'll obviously be a, a, a stepping stone into a, a, a long and drawn out process. But he, he needs something which he can sort of nail his colours to the mast and say, here you go, this is what I did for you. And I think that the starting point um, in terms of markets was markets were feeling quite defensive. Um, obviously, bond yields were low, um, positioning across... Uh, the asset pools was fairly defensively positioned. So cyclicals had underperformed non-cyclicals in equity space. In general, there was a lot of cash sitting on uh, real money um, balance sheets. And I think that, together with data not really deteriorating um, to the extent of the, the more pessimistic side of the spectrum, 
had really sort of given us the the, the impetus for a rally in risk, uh, a pickup in bond yields, and and essentially uh, an environment which has been pretty cosy and pretty warm for, for most asset classes. The real question is from here um, whether that continues. And we um, were probably a bit early in terms of thinking that it wasn't going to continue, and we were slightly surprised that uh, the phase one deal may involve rolling back of tariffs. So from our perspective, we're, we're pretty much sitting on the fence at the moment, if I'm honest. Um, have very little duration risk, a little bit of currency risk, which is more structural in terms of our thoughts behind that. But as you go through the next couple of months, it looks like Trump will want to get something positive out. And uh, if that coincides with uh, the usual seasonal uh, data swing, which is typically positive in the US in the fourth quarter, you're probably going to be in an environment where bond yields creep a little bit higher. You know, we've, we've, just, we've got rid of most of the rate cuts. We still have one over the next year or so. Um, but you'll probably get rid of a little bit more of that. Um, and in general, we sort of think that risk will do okay. Um, but it's quite difficult given, number one, we are macro people and we don't really like having to make political uh, pro- uh, uh, forecasts. And, and number two, there there is the potential for, for that to have quite a material impact on uh, on sentiment. Sure. I mean, let, let's, let's just, you know, in a sense, imagine that we're sitting on top of that fence, as you, as you describe, um, and maybe paint the scenario... Uh, of uh, what what could go really right, and what I mean by that in terms of, um, if you like, an unexpected uh, pickup in growth. I say unexpected because I think, by and large, that you know, did, you know, Keith would certainly not have that as being part of his forecast, for example. Yeah, it's a good question. I think the if you sort of sit from where we're sitting, you're in an environment where you typically say central banks may not be cutting rates, but they're certainly not going to be raising interest rates. So for, for, the, for the world to move to a position where they actually felt that things were so good that the Fed had overdone it, you'd have to see a pretty marked acceleration in things like PMIs, and you'd have to see a marked acceleration in general business confidence leading to CapEx intentions picking up. And for that to happen, I think in general you need a, a fairly significant removal of uncertainty. And, and with what we're facing today, while it's likely that there is going to be some kind of deal uh, signed in mid-December. It's not going to completely remove that. I think the other thing is that in the case of China, it's quite difficult to see how China could really um, add a huge amount of stimulus to the economy. Um, Our structural view on China is that China, having spent a lot of money post-financial crisis to really sort of put China in in uh, in a growth spurts has now recognized that it spent all of that money and it now has to consider that how it lives within its means the current account has basically gone from a significant surplus to essentially balanced their budgetary position has obviously been quite negative for, for an extended period of time and they're now in a position where you know they essentially need to find money to spend rather than just saying oh we'll use this excess cash that we've got here so from their perspective they're having to target their spending much more carefully. They're having to be much more nuanced, nuanced in terms of uh, in terms of policy, and it's very difficult to sort of envisage a scenario where you could suddenly see this huge level of impetus suddenly come into global trade, into essentially China in terms of its growth drivers. But but interestingly, um, you know, you paint the Chinese perspective, 
And I think probably in the West, sometimes we're guilty of forgetting that. And what I'm hearing you say is, of course, there's a level of vested interest that they have also in the tension easing. Definitely, definitely. I, I, you can see it in terms of Chinese data. It's been weak. They've managed to pretty much hold things together, but they're seeing money, they're seeing uh, businesses move offshore. They are concerned that their grand scheme of, of uh, their grand plan of adjusting themselves to be more service sector orientated, which in itself <coughs> moves them up the food chain. It's difficult for them to do that in an environment where they're fighting a, 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 a difficult war um, with the US, which is one of their major trading partners. So maybe then let's go back back as to our position, as it were, on the top of the fence and look at the other side of it, which is, um, in a sense, uh, again, scenario building of uh, what could go unexpectedly wrong. <clears throat> I think that... Um We've we've been, we've been of the view that that the sort of the late cycle phenomena, um, which was fairly um, commonplace earlier on this year, was wrong, um, and we felt that there was the excesses that you would typically see in an economy weren't really um, particularly uh, relevant to what was going on in the U.S. I think you're now beginning to start to worry about... And by that, like, you mean the sort of late cycle exactly. blow which causes monetary policy, which causes a typical... You get inflation, you get tightening of monetary policy. Right. People do some crazy things in terms of balance sheet. You get a huge amount of leverage being built up, and basically the cars come tumbling down. And I think the concern we have this time is it's not a typical sort of uh, build-up to a recession. But you're certainly seeing corporate profits come under pressure. So in terms of the corporate sector, which was using cheap labor to basically uh, hold back on investment, they now don't have quite as much cheap labor. And they're finding that they still don't have pricing power. So corporate profit margins are being squeezed. Well, to your earlier point, the confidence to invest. Exactly, exactly. And, and I think from that perspective, what could go wrong is that they say, well, actually, we do need to be a little bit careful with our balance sheet. We need to be a little bit careful with our investment. We need to be a little bit careful with our spending. And maybe what we should be doing is reducing our headcount slightly. And when that starts, you start to see that hit consumer confidence. You start to hit, see that hit people's spending. And there are signs that consumers are a bit more cautious. So if you look at the expectations components of consumer confidence surveys, they're definitely weakening relative to current conditions. If you look at their intention to spend on big ticket items, they're definitely beginning to lose some enthusiasm for those big ticket items. And certainly in the areas like auto sales where uh, autos were being sold to subprime borrowers, you're beginning to see a bit of a problem in terms of default um, defaults picking up there. So there are these signs that are beginning to say that we are a bit long in the tooth. The economic cycle is is at that point where we are late cycle. And obviously the dangers when you are late cycle are that much more uh, prevalent. Now the Fed responded, you know, they've, they've cut rates. And you've seen that household spending is still relatively robust. You've seen households um, looking at property in a more favorable light again, pretty much everywhere in the world having seen some weakness. But there is that risk that they haven't done enough and that that pushes the, uh, the business sector into a position where they start shaving headcount. So look at jolts, look at 
jobs, principal jobs, hard to get. They are all beginning to say that things aren't quite as rosy as they were. Right. So a little bit of kind of slack. It's the vulnerability. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's you're now more vulnerable. And obviously, we have the potential for a fairly seismic shift in politics in both the US and the UK. You know, I think most people's expectations is that Trump will be re-elected. But if you were to get someone like Elizabeth Warren, that what that would do to business confidence in America, what that would do to the stock market, obviously has some pretty interesting implications. And if you're a corporate and it's only a year away, are you going to say, well, I'm going to go out and spend a load of money, I'm going to build a new factory, or I'm going to put this extra capacity in place? Or are you just going just, just to sit on your hands? And, and just ride it out, to use exactly. that technical term. I mean, you've certainly, you've certainly seen it in the UK. We've had... Well, let's switch to the UK. It'd be interesting. I mean, I, again, I'm not... You'll be relieved to hear. I'm going to ask you for an election prediction. <laughs> um, but I would like um, your, your take on the scenarios. And again, um, in that sense, how we're thinking about positioning. Yeah, I think... I mean, as you said at the start, um, they are falling over one another to see how much money they can spend. And the fiscal rules are being rewritten, which one of the themes that we have is that there will be this general release of the purse strings because yields are so low and because monetary policy is largely tapped out. So it does go over to fiscal. Most, most prominently, you hear that from the ECB. But in general, you hear that from a lot of central banks. Please spend a bit more money, especially given yields are as low as they are. Now, in the UK... <clears throat> We're still waiting for manifestos, so it's not actually um, clear in terms of what they're spending, but they are going to spend a lot of money. They are going to put money into infrastructure, into the health service, etc. And when you invest in infrastructure, it has a pretty good multiplier. Um, so it's not a bad thing to do. Um, the issue is, you know, we have a lot of wood to chop between now and, and then December the 12th in terms of who might ultimately win. And at the moment... If you're going to get a hung parliament, then you're back to sort of you're back to no man's land. And if you think about where we've been in terms of business investment, I think it's eighth quarters, quarter after quarter, which has actually been negative in business investment. And we know there's a lot of pent up investment there, but you need resolution. And to be honest, even if you get resolution in terms of you either have a, uh, a Tory government or you have a, a coalition government led by Labour. You still have to go through the whole process of negotiating your trade deal. You may have agreed what you're going to do if you exit, but if it is going to be that we are going to, going to exit the EU, then you still have to agree what the trade deal looks like. And that, again, will hold back people in terms of spending, people in terms of uh, companies in terms of investing. Yes, I think, I think you're right to highlight that, is that you know, it's not just about leaving, it's just the start of the process. Mm. You know, the risk of abusing Churchill, the end of the beginning. Exactly. Um, so, well, obviously, we saw a brief um, uh, pop in sterling yesterday on the back of uh, Farage's decision to not stand against um, incumbent Tories. Um, do you see sterling remaining, in a sense, under pressure for that reason, that, that after maybe the sake of argument, if there was a um, Tory majority, you'd see sterling strengthen briefly, but then the... Uh, longer-term reality of what it's going to take to negotiate the deal would then continue to keep sterling under a level of pressure? Yeah, well, we were long sterling earlier on. I mean, in the early 120s, we were long the pound. When we went up to 128 the first time, we actually took some of it out. We have a much smaller position now. But we feel it's still right to be marginally long rather than marginally short. 
Um, how it really plays out, I mean, it really is in the hands of the gods and whether <coughs> Boris can actually come out with a, a sensible sentence and whether Jeremy Corbyn doesn't come out with a sensible sentence. Right. Because neither of them have really sort of covered themselves in glory so far. It's still early days. It's the best part of a month until we... It's actually a month today right. until we get there. So, but for balance, sterling is still a currency that um, is cheap enough to warrant a small long. So that leads neatly on to other positions you have on. You alluded to the fact that you've been de-risking a little bit. Um, uh, what um, what other positions would you like to highlight? Um, the, the the principal thing that, that we like from a structural perspective is to be short Asia. Largely because we think China, as I say, has to live within its means. And largely because free trade and the whole thing of, uh, of globalization looks like it is really being at least put on hold, if not put into absolute reverse. So if you have a trade-centric country like Korea, to an extent Taiwan... I witnessed the stat that I quoted earlier. Exactly. Um, then there is some hardship there. And, and it's unlikely that they have a business model which can really allow them to grow. Korea has a number of specific issues in terms of household leverage, demographics as well. So from our perspective, it's a nice cheap currency to carry. Taiwan is actually one of the, the best currencies to be short of from a carry perspective. But we have, against that, we have longs in places like India and Indonesia, which, are, which do offer much higher carry. India has the potential to be a nice structural story. Um, so both of those sort of views are much longer term in nature. Where we've taken risk out has basically been in rates. We haven't got as much duration risk as we had. And we have a little bit less in terms of our dollar footprint. So we were trading the dollar from the short side. We are still marginally short, but nowhere near as short as we were. Um, in part because, from our perspective, you know, we have seen uh, a bit of a turn uh, in uh, in data, but we've seen this turn in rhetoric, and we're not really, you know, willing to sort of bet uh, positioning um, um, as aggressively as we were earlier on. And lastly, we haven't touched much on um, uh, the Eurozone. Uh, I was intrigued by um, The Economist's coverage of Macron this week and very much your theme of a more fragmented world and his vision for, let's call it, a more um, self-sufficient uh, and um, independent-minded uh, EU. Uh, what's, um, what's, what's your take there? Well, what's clear is that Europe is very trade-centric and very trade-open, Germany especially. So if you are moving to an environment where China no longer have that degree of demand for capital goods, then that is a challenge for Germany. But in general, in an environment where you have less global trade, then those countries which are more trade-centric need to find a different business model. So the European model, if you were successful in Europe, was basically sell stuff, sell stuff outside of Europe. And as a consequence, you have a pretty big current account balance in in Europe, but a very big current account surplus in Germany. And I think what Macron is trying to say is we have to basically be in charge of our own destiny. We have to basically find our own domestic growth model. And ordinarily, you would say, well, this is the time we actually release the fiscal purse strings and actually start spending money on, on stuff to make you more domestically focused. But unfortunately, um, those purse strings are constrained by uh, the compact. Uh, in Germany, they're constrained by 
their ability to sort of diverge from any kind of balanced budget. So it is quite difficult for them to really move the dial dramatically. And I think the best assumption on Europe is that we amble along rather than dramatically improve or deteriorate. It's pretty clear that um, the ECB feel that they've done pretty much as much as they can. We still have QE as an ongoing theme in, in Europe. That seems like it will be with us for some time to come. It seems probable that rates will either be where they are or marginally lower for an extremely long period of time as well. But I'm not really saying anything interesting here because that's basically where the market is. <laughs> so it's difficult to have a, a, a particularly strong view. Clearly, if from the perspective of uh, the trade war, if there is a more meaningful positive, then Europe being a trade-centric country well, will obviously benefit more. That's the upside. Um, but but, we, but the yeah. underlying reality is that that's less likely, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Bob, we're, we're out of time. Um, so thank you very much indeed um, for that. Extremely helpful. If I can briefly summarize, um, I think, first of all, two key words that I'll pick out from your, from your comments, uh, which I think you feel are likely to persist in terms of their presence in our vocabulary. The first is uncertainty, um, which means uh, a kind of handbrake uh, on activity uh, will persist. And at the same time, given how elongated this particular QE-enabled cycle has been, um, the creeping sense of vulnerability um, that is out there. I think that was the word you used. Uh, in terms of positioning now, uh, you talked, first of all, to the currency level um, about uh, holding on to a small sterling long position, um, having uh, trimmed it slightly recently, uh, that you are less underweight um, uh, the dollar than before, um, and that more particularly out in Asia, you see vulnerability uh, because of um, China kind of recalibrating and leaving uh, perhaps uh, some economies like Taiwan and hence the Taiwanese dollar um, are more exposed. So short the Taiwanese dollar. See a secular position um, for, of opportunity in economies like uh, India, like Indonesia, uh, more in the medium term. Um, and uh, lastly, when it comes to an appraisal of um, uh, of, uh, of duration, um, you've reduced duration risk. Um, you see the sense of um, uh, Europe kind of, I think your phrase was ambling along, um, induced again by QE being extended by the outgoing Mario Draghi uh, and essentially remaining dull, with the only upside coming if there was an unexpectedly strong outcome uh, from the trade negotiations uh, between China and the US, which would, of course, create a more benign global trading macro environment for economies very heavily exposed to it, uh, such as Germany. Bob, thank you very much indeed. Uh, great to have you. And that concludes this week's call. Thanks, everyone, for listening.